0: is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Indispensable. We are excited today to have Chris Quinn with us. He is the chief talent optimizer at Imprint Talent Readiness. He's also a Vistage chair, and he is in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And I'm excited to have Chris on today because we have a lot to share with you, and Chris is fascinating, and the work that he's doing around readiness, readiness for CEOs, making decisions, HR, and he's got a wealth, um, great experience in marketing and sales. So I think you're going to find this a really great conversation. So welcome, Chris. It's great to have you with us today.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be asked to be a participant in this podcast.
0: Well, we always have really good conversations when we talk. Mm -hmm. So I think that this will just be an extension of that. So, Tell us a little bit about your background, Chris, because you have a really interesting background, and we've touched on how the various aspects of your background influence what you're doing today.
1: Sure. Um, I, uh, I started my, my professional career in the military out of college. I was a, a U.S. Marine infantry officer uh, in the early 80s. Uh, I graduated from the University of Southern California and did a couple tours in the Middle East, and then one year as a general's aide before... I became a civilian, and uh, when I got out of the military, I went to work uh, in the medical industry for American Hospital Supply, which was then merged with Baxter. And I spent 10 years there and another uh, five or six years at Bayer, the German uh, diagnostic company. And then ultimately, I ended up at IDEX Laboratories, which is a public uh, animal diagnostic company up in Portland, Maine. And that was my last uh, tour of duty, so to speak, in the, in the corporate world. In 1999, I left. And as I tell my wife, I've been unemployable since 1999. So I uh, went the entrepreneur route, uh, had a few partners for about four years out of the uh, Columbia School Business. We did marketing education workshops and some consulting. And then in 03, 2003, I started my, uh, my own firm.
0: And so you've been talking about this readiness topic for quite a while then, because mm-hmm. really that was what you were talking about in some of your early businesses, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, readiness is a theme that it kind of emerged for me. It's uh, one thing that I think it started with my military experience. I think the military one thing they do well, among many things, but probably one of the best things they do is uh, re- uh, readiness assessments or readiness uh, posture for executing a given strategy. And that's uh, you know it's, it changes, so the readiness changes. But they have a really good mechanism to make sure that you know when the plan is uh, is decided, that the organization is configured in a way to execute and that's the readiness piece. And what what struck me over my career in business was that was missing in most organizations. What I found was we spent a, a lot of time on the strategy planning and uh, dance, co- corporate dance, you know, getting everything uh, agreed to on Friday and then on Monday we'd be, go right to execution and then everybody was exhausted and just said, let's, okay, let's go execute. And I think what was missing and, and, and what I realized was missing was the whole question of, well, if this is the way we're gonna go to market, what are the implications to the, the talent that we have or the organizational readiness? It would be kind of miraculous if we were aligned with the strategy we just decided on when that's a new strategy and we've had the people we've always had. Um, so uh, it's an area that really popped out at me, and uh, it's been an area of interest and for, for, since I left corporate.
0: And how do you think it's changed, if it's changed at all? Because the speed of change is so rapid now
1: right yeah it definitely has changed i think agility is uh, is one of the key words and I think agility you can be agile i think when you understand you know what you have the you know you understand your inventory of of capabilities and i think uh it's hard to be agile if you don't know what you have because you don't know what you're capable of of doing and how quickly you can you know kind of turn on a dime or move uh in a different azimuth or direction and so I think the other challenge is talent isn't as um, as plentiful. I think there's uh, people have, there's a, you know, it's probably the lowest unemployment rate. And since I've been a adult, which has been a long time, uh, I don't think there's ever been a situation where there were so many jobs and so few people. So uh, given that, I think people have choices. And, and so, you know, you have to be very careful about who you hire, and then you have to hold on to who you hire, and, which is called obviously engagements, the buzzword people use, but you have to, you know, not only attract, but you have to retain people. And uh, that's a challenge. I think that's an emerging uh, talent or, or I call it crisis or challenge for many organizations.
0: Right. It's really the number one topic for most CEOs these days, right? I mean, we certainly see that in the conversations we have. And you as a Vistage chair working with your members who are CEOs in the Raleigh-Durham area, I'm guessing that comes up quite a bit as well.
1: Absolutely. And you know, Raleigh-Durham is one of the fastest growing areas for tech, and for life sciences in the country. It's in, I think in the top five, it's one of the fastest growing metro areas. So we definitely, although we have a lot of people moving here and we have a lot of universities, there's still a lot of uh, competition for talent. So it's definitely when, we, you know, it's funny, we have different industries represented in our, our CEO group. But uh, the thing that binds them all together is the talent challenge. I mean, you'd be amazed how many times it's not as as much about strategy or about the, you know, tips and tricks around business as it is about the talent and the issues around, you know, attracting and retaining and and developing uh, people.
0: And how do you do that work? Um, So I love you on your LinkedIn profile. You have um, your CEO group is actually called Action Learning Lab Groups.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we, we try to we try to make it very pragmatic. So uh, the whole idea of action learning is uh, you know bringing real, real business problems into the forum, and and creating a safe space where people can share uh, good and bad experiences and push each other um, to be uncomfortable uh, often. But it's really the one place I've come to really appreciate. It. It's the one place where CEOs can be uh, kind of let their guard down a little bit. They can be totally transparent. And, and I think it's really because everyone in the room has empathy for the roles because they're all sitting in that role. And also they don't have a, a dog in the fight or a, a perspective, you know, that's uh, biased. They're, they just really are truly in there to kind of push the thinking and try to get to the best uh, decision. And I think that really is a powerful, you know, powerful forum. And so the learning that occurs and the action, it's all about action at the end of the day because we're not an academic group. At the end of the day, everyone, you know, who has a challenge that's processed, uh, we call it issue processing is the methodology. They have a call to action, you know, and the call to action says, what are you going to do by when? Um, So there's definitely a a due date and kind of an assignment associated with it. And people hold each other accountable. The next meeting, you can be guaranteed, you know, people are going to say, hey, we spent, you know, almost an hour, 45 minutes on that issue. What did you do? You were going to do X, what happened? And that's the accountability piece that CEOs also, I think, really thrive and crave ultimately because it's hard for people at work to hold them accountable on a day-to-day basis. And so this group really helps with that.
0: So one of the keys is a group of people who are pretty decisive, not just decision makers, but (laughs) right by title. However, they are decisive by nature. Um, And then you have to weave in this readiness piece, right? Because they might be ready for a change. However, their team may not be ready for a change.
1: Uh, oftentimes the case, I think a lot of the uh, members are entrepreneurs. They're founders. I think most of them are founders, and they're very high. They have a high drive, and sometimes they can outrun their air cover. <laughs> you know, they can get so far out ahead of everybody with their ideas, and I, I joke with them a lot. I say, you know, you guys have 100 conversations a day, and sometimes they include other people. <laughs> you know, it's like, they they live in their heads a lot. They are thinking all the time. They've got that flywheel going, and sometimes, you know, they'll swear, hey, I've talked about this, and it might be the first time they've actually mentioned it, but they're thinking about it so much, that to them, it's a fully formed idea or product, and uh, sometimes they get out ahead of their teams, and so that's something we pay attention to, to try to help them become aware of that.
0: Right. I think it's really interesting, you know, very often, um, as it relates to Vistage members, cause I also am a Vistage speaker, so I get to go to a lot of different Vistage groups across the country. Um, We'll be talking about LinkedIn. We'll be talking about recruiting, business development, all these sorts of things. And it might be a year later. And in fact, over the last three weeks, I've had three or four CEOs reach out to me. I heard you speak, you know, in September of 2017. I'm ready. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes, you know, like they can leave and they can be like, "Okay, we should do this. But they do recognize, like, really, if they think if they do stop for a moment. Right. They come back. They go back to their office the next day. They talk with their people and they realize we're just not ready for whatever reason to try to recruit in a different way or to embark on an initiative that's going to take X amount of time. Right. So reconciling readiness with being decisive is sometimes an interesting place.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a good point. I think readiness really implies that um, it it means you say no to a lot of things. And and I think that's counterintuitive to a lot of folks who are very high achievement or high drive is uh, they want to accomplish a lot. And, and sometimes, you you know, to accomplish something, you have to give something up. And so, um, you know, when I was in a company, one of the first charts I used to ask people to put up, put up before they showed their strategy was show us all the things you're going to stop doing as a consequence of the strategy that you're going to ask us to approve. Mm-hmm. I think the message has to be that, you know, you can't do what you've always done and add to it and expect to be successful later on more. And I think part of it is recognizing you have to give permission to let things go that are, you know, less important than they seem to be in the, you know, given the new direction or given the way we're going to execute, you know, go forward. And I think that's what, to your point, I think a lot of people, you know, work their way through that and say, we have to let, we have to clear the deck, you know, in order to focus and, you know, make it okay to you know, let things go. That's hard to do. You know, these things become habits, you know, the reports and things people do almost wrote after a while and, and then you stop challenging whether they really add value to where you're going now, your new strategy. So,
0: yeah, I think, um. I think there's something there I want to pull out and it's about layer, layering on more. And And you have a lot of experience with marketing and marketing professionals. And I think what I often see when I'm in working with clients is I hear, and sometimes I hear it as part of a strategy meeting. Well, I'm not really sure where that fits. Um, it doesn't really fit in operations, doesn't really fit in sales. Let's just give it to marketing. Huh. Right. And so layering on, on top of, on marketing more and more things is really problematic today because it takes a lot to be a marketing professional in 2019 because there's so much technology, so much specialization. So I often will ask people, you know, like, do you have a marketing generalist or do you have a marketing specialist?
1: Hmm.
0: Because, there's no way one or two marketing people can know every social media platform and LinkedIn or soft, you know, CRM and um, software marketing automation and SEO and all of these things. How do you talk to CEOs about that marketing piece because it's so specific today?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very complex, um, and and I think it's uh, I think a lot of CEOs probably underestimate the complexity. Of marketing, um, and and it's it's not complex because the 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 pain points are hard to discern. I think it's complex because there's so much noise also that the clients or customer target customers get inundated with, and you know all the emails and all the content that and, you know the uh, content or the uh, sales disguises content, you know, <laughs> all the all the all the things that come their way, and there's so many ways to reach customers. So. I think that it's really making them aware of the complexity and then trying to distill it down and really uh, measure what's effective. I think you can get wrapped into doing a lot of activities. And I think the really the thing I try to emphasize is you should expect an ROI on your marketing. And if you can't measure return, then it's an expense. And so you have to be diligent, I think, about testing and, and, and do A-B testing and test you know, different approaches to see which ones have the best impact in, in a measurable way. Either it's increased share, increased profit, whatever the metrics are. But if you can't measure it, you know, then you, you got to start to challenge, why are you sp- spending money against it?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think sometimes they, people fall in love. You know, they go a mile wide and an inch deep. They try a lot of things, uh, but they really don't have the understanding of what's really making an impact and what's really, you know, creating value. And I think you have to be willing to, to fail fast. You know, try things. Rapid prototyping. You know, is a w- one way to think about it. Just try different things and have measurements, but you know, be honest, be brutal about whether they're working or not, and then move on if they're not. But uh, yeah, I think marketing's probably never been more complex than than it is now with all the all the marketing automation that you you know, and the tools, and it's just a, it's a incredible amount for somebody to learn. And and even if you have an MBA, <laughs> which right. most of our clients do that doesn't guarantee anything. About their ability to, you know, wrap themselves around it. It's just way bigger than it used to be. Right. Uh, so.
0: And you know, I watched one of your your videos on your LinkedIn profile, and I I had to laugh because you know you say seventy five percent of companies rely on intuition, and that your kids have more data as they're selecting who's going to be on their fifa team or, or you know yeah. tournament or whatever right? right and then companies do on hiring and and i think that that's so true i can remember saying to a couple of our clients over the last few years please don't go have coffee with that person because you are going to fall in love and you're going to want to hire them right. and you have no benchmark to go from so don't don't even have coffee just have a quick okay. phone call and save the coffee for later on when you're, you know, you've finally hired them and you've onboarded them and you've gotten some, some data, right? So you're right. kind of a, everything I know about you, it always seems to come back to the data,
1: right? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think data is important. I think uh, one thing, if there's a lot of great books and, um, you know, Moneyball is a great movie and a book, you know, Michael Lewis wrote about using data in baseball. And then Danny came in at uh, Berkeley won the Nobel award for economics and it's behavioral economics. And Dan Ariely at Duke, you know, wrote predictably uh, irrational about people's behavior. And I think it's because we have so many cognitive biases at play that, you know, are working every day. And I think those cognitive biases help us make sense of things faster. Right. And kind of, uh, and they, we don't even know they're operating. And so, I think when you think about making decisions about people, there's a lot of things that can come in selection bias and, you know, all these other biases that when you bring a team together of interviewers, which a lot of clients will do, or a lot of our clients will have interview teams, all you do is amalgamate the biases, <laughs> you, know, everybody brings their, you know, put them in a bucket, you know, and so you don't eliminate them, you just bring them together and sometimes accentuate. Um, it, it's not a bad thing. It's just a human thing. And so I think you have to, you don't want to ever obviate or negl, you know, negate judgment, but you also want to add data because of the fact that we know those biases exist. So how can we add some, you know, some data that's robust, is valid and reliable that will help us contextually make a decision? Because, you know, the challenge is people aren't good or bad in, in terms of the way their, their drives are, or their behaviors. It's really a question of whether it's, it's contextually appropriate for the role that you're considering them for. Right. It's not that, hey, this is a great profile or that's a bad profile. If you're looking at different tools, it's whether that profile is optimal for the role that we're considering. And I think you start with understanding what is the role that you want and then not try to reverse engineer people into it. Because <laughs> if right. you don't have that, you don't have that decided up front, you know, that conversation with stakeholders and say, listen, what do we want out of this role? Is, oh, I want somebody who's really collaborative. No, I, th- I want somebody who's really driven and independent. Well, you better figure that out before you start looking at candidates. And decide what that you know what that sweet spot is where you want people. And once you have that figured out, then it's all about finding people that you know can fit that. Because you can teach skills. Mm-hmm. What I've learned is you can teach skills and you can teach all that. Um, and if you or if you're willing to, what you can't change are the way people are are wired, the behavioral drives, their cognitive ability, their learning agility. Those things are I call them unseen and unchangeable. You know they are what they are, and they're not good or bad. They're just a question of whether they're appropriate or not. And, and that's the question a company needs to ask, because I think too many people have a bad experience in companies because they're put in a situation where their natural drives or their authentic self or their cognitive ability is not a fit. And right. that's not, not figured out because they interview well or because they went to the same school or their glib, you know, they their sales, you know, they've got a very social skill that's very high and they really connect with people quickly. Well, that's not going to overcome a low cognitive ability or a bad fit from a drive standpoint past the interview stage. But that's where you, I think it's one of the reasons there's such low engagement because people don't even know who they've hired. Really. They don't understand that person at a very deep level. It's just, and then they're disappointed and you go, well, that, whose fault is that? I mean, what did you do to try to understand how this person, you know, what their drives are and what, you know, what they're, you know, below the surface. If you haven't used any diagnostic tools, you know, then, then you've kind of decided to do surgery based on patient history. <laughs> it's like, okay, right. that may or may not be warranted, but I think it's reckless And, uh, and so uh, there are a lot of tools out there that are validated that I think companies should add to the mix. And I think they would have a, you know, higher, uh, engagement, better employee experience and less disruption to their organization. So I, I think that's one use of data that, you know, there's plenty of tools out there that are robust. I, I use the predictive index in our business, but I, you know, we believe that that has made a difference for a lot of clients and, uh, We think it's important to add data to your hiring and then even your development decisions once you, you know, have a team understanding, you know, how to coach them, how to optimize the performance of the team based on the mix that you have on that team of of drives.
0: And how did you come to just choose predictive index because yes. you you would definitely be somebody who would research i can't imagine you would be the person who would be like hey predictive index let me download a an ebook okay i'm in right like it's you funny. did some you did some research
1: i did i did some research it's funny um and and when i took the predictive it said on the spectrum of you know uh, on a on a spectrum of on the low end is on the left hand, if you will, far left is intuitive. On the far right is data. I'm so far off the scale on data. I think they had to add add a piece of paper to you know put me on there. So a few uh, standard deviations, right? That's right. Trust but verify. Yeah, I was a few a few clicks off to the right. But so so what resonated. So I have I have a proprietary assessment tool I built for marketing. And I've, I've used it with a lot of Fortune 100 companies. I've been blessed. And it's really based on a, a philosophy of context. So our whole tool, it matches people's marketing organizations and the talent in that organization with the strategy they're executing. It's the readiness. We call it the marketing readiness diagnostic. And it's really what we were talking about earlier. It's context intensive. You know, One group of people given another strategy might be a good fit or not. It really depends on uh, some external factors like market maturity, market conditions in terms of your relative market share and the strategy you're executing, right? Is it going to be customer intimacy? You know, is it innovation? What is the nature of it? And then really looking at the skills in the, in the organization, and identifying gaps. And so when I, when I heard PI, I was at a Vistage meeting, a chair meeting. I heard the founder or the CEO, Mike Zani, who is a, uh, was presenting. He was talking about context and how important context is. And that resonated with me you know, really caught my ear because I've seen so many assessments that are agnostic to context. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, you are X, Y, Z. You know, I am an INTJ in Myers-Briggs, which is interesting. And I love to talk about it, but I'm not sure that's how that fits in a job role or in a specific situation. What situations is that best? And so what resonated with me was their whole approach was very science-based, 60 plus years, a lot of criterion validity studies, almost too many. I mean, they're very science-oriented. And uh, and the focus on context, you know, job role specific, Uh, you know, and that really connected with me because I see a lot of people treat marketing as a homogeneous set of activities. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the most heterogeneous, you know, function in the company. I mean, you have so much variety from Marcom to market research to digital marketing to sales, you know, sales support in the channel. And I mean, it's all over the place. And so I would see people use one tool to assess their marketing organization. I mean, mm-hmm. one tool, really, they all have the same, you know, level of acumen skills expected, the same mix required. It didn't, didn't fit with me. So that's why I created my tool because I saw people had a thirst for assessment, but they were using these homogeneous tools. One size fits all it, you know, and then, then using that to benchmark themselves. And, you know, also the other companies you're benchmarking against have the exact same strategy you do and the same. So uh-huh. that's a relevant benchmark, you know? And so that's what, you know, kind of took me down the path of developing my proprietary tool. And it's the same thing I heard from PI predictive index was that really focus on context. You know, how are you going to compete? What is this job role? How does it align with that business strategy? And then once we understand that, then let's have that discussion around what are the cognitive requirements, the behavioral and skills and uh, context intensive, I guess is the term I would use. So. Mm
0: -hmm. And when you take a PI, just we'll create a little um, context for mm-hmm. those listening. Um, you have three graphs, right? Mm-hmm. Top, middle, bottom. And the right. top is like who you are. And then the middle is how you've adapted. Exactly. Remind me of this, right? Exactly. And then,
1: Yeah, that's right. And the third is what people see. So the the way I talk about it is the third one, the, what people see is like the duck above the surface of the pond. And it looks serene, but you don't know that the duck's pedaling like hell below the surface. That's the, the middle graph. That's you adapting in your work environment. And who you are naturally, nobody knows that. I mean, because you're, you're, in most cases, you're adapting. Most people are adapting somewhat to their natural tendencies in order to you know, fit the job role they're in. And the more they have to adapt, as you can imagine, the more difficult that is to sustain. And the more energy and emotional and physical energy it takes. You know, we, we talk about it like if you're naturally a right-handed person, that's your top graph. That's who you are kind of at the DNA level. And then you have to write left-handed at work all day, which is the middle graph. That's going to wear you down, right? It's more concentration. Your work's not going to be as good. People aren't going to be as happy with it. They're, you're going to start to feel bad about your work because you're not, at the, you're not meeting expectations. You take that home with you. You know, you're going to impact the way you feel about yourself. And you can imagine how that infiltrates your life. And so it's really important that, you know, one thing I look at is that middle graph to see how much someone's adapting. The, the, word, the important thing is that's, that's a point in time. The top graph is who you are. That's your, who you are everywhere you go. The middle one is your current situation, how you feel like you have to adapt. And so that's an interesting, that any divergence between the two is an interesting place to at least start to understand, you know, are you feeling like at this moment in time you have to be more uh, independent than you're comfortable with? right? You ask questions to try to understand that. Are you feeling like, you know, you have to uh, pay more attention to details or you have to make decisions before you have all the details you want? I've had clients who've moved from big pharma companies to startups in regulatory positions, and they're off the chart, you know, adapting going, oh my God, we have to make decisions. You know, when we were, you know, $25 billion company, I had more data. Now I've got to make the decision now without the data in this little startup. And you go, yeah, that's that's part of the reality of understanding, you know, what the what the environment is and, and what's required in a startup beyond the technical skills, right? Mm-hmm. The the cultural fit. Are you comfortable making decisions when everything's not perfect or when you don't have everything you want or everything you would like to have? And so yeah, it's it's a fascinating those two are very fascinating to, to take a look at. any differences.
0: Yeah, I've actually taken the P I twice in the last 10 years. So I took it in my previous company I worked for, and it was really a difficult environment. Mm-hmm. And so my second graph was like completely, like I was adapting all over the place. It was <laughs> just like so difficult. And what was interesting when I started in Tarot and I was about six months in, I actually took the PI again, and each of the three graphs were totally aligned
1: Mm, and
0: and I actually took it once again just recently just for just for fun and still right and so um, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of predictive index because I like I see how it just resonated with me and where I was in different situations and different skills and being able to do my my own thing and kind of creating a place that I wanted to work. I always say, you know, Ontario's advisory is the place I want to work, right? Because exactly. of the place I am in my career. And and I was able to do that and how out of sync I was in a kind of corporate environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very amazing. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very powerful. It's very powerful to help coach people. In, you know, with my Vistage group, we use it for coaching. We use it to to look at, you know, candidates to understand their current situation when you're interviewing them, to ask questions, to, you know, curious about, hey, what's going on here? Um, and it's amazing. It's amazing how many times people say, well, how did you know that? How did you know that that was something to ask? You say, well, you're it's clear you're adapting, right? You're, you're, you're not feeling, you're probably not as comfortable or you're probably pushing yourself beyond where your comfort is. Is that correct? And, okay. Yeah, I am. What's going on? And so, yeah, it's it's great, and the data doesn't you know doesn't supplant judgment. Obviously, it just complements it, and I think right. it can help you see you know it helps you see candidates maybe you wouldn't have thought about were a great you know ad water microwave fit. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you see you see the people that you know wow I, that was counterintuitive. They have even a function in the software for companies where as you're looking at candidates externally, it'll suggest internal candidates that have a behavioral and cognitive fit for that role from across the company. So, from a talent planning standpoint, that's amazing for some of my clients because they say, "Wow, that person's over there. I would have never thought of them for this role." Well, they don't have the training, the skills yet, but they have the behavioral and cognitive fit, which is what you can't teach. And if you want to develop them, you're willing to help them with the skill part, you know, and you know, contemplate that if you move them into that role. What a great message, right? We can move people. You can grow internally here, right? You're mm-hmm. not. Uh, and that, I think that's powerful from an engagement and retention standpoint to have that ability to identify people. And then, and then you have to be willing to you know, help them with the skill part.
0: Right, exactly. And, and you know, I think all of that kind of comes together. First of all, you're a huge learner. You're always like taking in new things and, and kind of swirling them around and then sharing them out with people. So my next question really kind of comes back to indispensable. This podcast mm-hmm. is about the business truce tools and tips Mm. that you can't do without. So as you think about, like you use a lot of tools, what are some of the tools that you like just go to every day? Um, you know, and it can be PI or it can be yeah. some other things. Talk about those for a couple minutes.
1: Yeah. So for sure. I mean, LinkedIn for me, I mean, I was, uh, I was probably agnostic <laughs> if not atheist to LinkedIn when I first started <laughs> with, uh, I think I had 26 followers and probably 24 of them were family members or cousins or something when I started. Um, you know, I, I didn't, re- I thought it was like Facebook for adults. <laughs> I mean, I had no clue. And then I I started to build really what, stimulated it was my work with Vistage and you know and and with your team when I said hey I I think I understand now it's powerful but I don't know how to use this tool Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh, and it's been amazing for me in terms of every day it's a way for me to share content it's a way for me to take in content it's a way for me to connect with people that have interests Um, it's a you know it's an electronic uh, you know handshake sometimes it's a way just to you know reach out to people and say hey uh, you know, it seems like we have common interests. I'd love to connect with you, and here's why. I mean, it doesn't seem creepy. <laughs> it's a, right. I really, it's a great, it's in, indispensable. I've got it on my phone. I mean, it's amazing. I've got my kids in college starting starting on it, so we're uh, we're we're all in on LinkedIn for sure. I mean, it's just uh, it's got so many benefits. Um, I have an app that I've found interesting. It's got a Thank You Pro app. It's uh it's, it's something for practicing uh, gratitude. So every mm-hmm. week I block time and I send electronic thank you cards and they actually send them. It looks like your hand, it is your signature, but it, it looks handwritten and you can customize the messages and it's mailed for you. There's a, a third party or that mails it. And uh, I try to do that every week. I sit back and say, who can I say thank you to that's helped me out. And I, nice. you know, I think that's been a good practice for me because you know sitting down and getting stamps and finding all that i mean i probably i'm like an unmade bed doing that you know i'd probably be all over the place and wouldn't have the stamps if i had the cards so <laughs> right. I, I can i can sit on an airplane i can sit anywhere and i can i can be anywhere as long as i've got an internet connection and i can send out a thank you card and i can have them you know for my vintage or my business or imprint talent and so i i've really i've found that to be helpful as well
0: and that's called thank you
1: Yes. Thank you, pro. It's uh, it's an iPhone or a, you know, a uh, uh, Android app. Um, and it's really easy. I found it user-friendly. It's, uh, it must be primate proof if I can use it. So it's uh, it's, it's been really a great tool for me um, to embrace. Um, I, CRMs. I think everyone who's in uh, a business has to have a CRM or access to a CRM, a customer relationship management uh, program. We do have one that we use and it's a great way to Continue a conversation and share with uh, with with folks that are in your network, even your LinkedIn network. It's another way to share if you wish. You know different kinds of content, um, but yeah, I think I think relationships are about conversation, and about sharing. So it's a way to automate some of that because it's become onerous to do. And so to think through, you know, what are the next six pieces of content I want to share over the next you know eight weeks or ten weeks or whatever the cadence is, and to automate it, get it set up, spend a little time putting the content together and then sharing it. So we've 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 done that as well and I think that's been an important investment. Um,
0: Which um, is your do you have a favorite CRM?
1: We do. We we've been using Hatchbuck out of St. Louis, Hatchbuck. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's for small businesses. Um they have templates and you know they have a lot of uh, capabilities that we needed and it's pretty it's user-friendly interface and so we've been using that one.
0: Great. I am not familiar with that one. So I'll go take a look at that. And we'll put the um, Thank You Pro and Hatchbuck Rate as links um, in the show notes. So people can grab those quickly and easily. Great. Uh, Any others?
1: Well, there's one more that we use. There's a uh, Vengage, which is an infographic maker. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I'm visual and you know I like data. You've already, Mm -hmm. I've already kind of come out of that one. So um, I, I think the visualization of data is important. I think there's ways to do that to make it interesting and engaging. And that, I think it goes along with the content strategy when you're doing, you know, things through uh, CRM or sharing. I think people like, a lot of people like pictures. I think their retention is higher if you have a picture than just data. And uh, so I've, I've found that as a, a useful uh, a tool, Vengage, uh, V-E-N-N-G-A-G-E. And uh, I found that to be a good uh, program to access as well.
0: Um Sydney and our team has used that a couple of times, and I have to say every time I log in and i 'm not really you know i 'm like, pretty adventurous when it comes to trying new technology and stuff, so but every time I open it i 'm like ah i 'm not quite <laughs> sure what I should do first right or i 'm like i'm like, yeah. so, like oh, that one's pretty, and so is that one, and oh, I like that one, and <laughs> so i 'm having a hard time like getting through that. So do you just jump in and create your own or do you have somebody create them for you?
1: I, I did, you know, I'm kind of a canary in the mine shaft. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I jump in usually. I like to I like to test, maybe it's that learning stuff. I like to see if it's something that's user-friendly. If I can figure out, I figure it, it met the marine test, right? I can, I didn't break it and I figured out how to use it. And, um, and there's a little bit of a sense of accomplishment that probably I, I have to admit when you can create something like that that looks like it's professional and, and I actually did it um, and they make it easy. So yeah, I, I, I did dive in a little bit uh, to create some and I, I actually use it in proposals sometimes mm. um, presentations, you know, different pieces um, just because there's some interesting ways that they, you know, you can display data that can be, you know, whether it's a GAN, you know, what normally had been a Gantt chart, you can turn it into an infographic a roadmap that's visual, you know, things like that, that in the past I might've been more XL or dry just to say, hey, let's just, let's just turn this into, a new, if it makes sense to do so, let's turn it into a picture. But anyway. right, I love
0: that idea. That's a great idea because proposals do tend to get a little much, <laughs> right? And even, right. you know, strategic plans, right? I was working on one the other day and I'm like, wow, this is just a lot of information, so how can we break it up? So I'm going to have to jump back into that and see. <laughs> how we could use that. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you um, a little bit about the Marine Corps in terms of what was the greatest thing that you'd learned from the Marine Corps? My husband was a Marine, so I know you still are a Marine. And so, you know, I'm certainly very clear on that point. But what would you say that taught you?
1: Yeah, I, I, I have a couple things. I think one thing it, it's something I say today. I think I think you get what you tolerate, and um, I think the Marine Corps doesn't tolerate a lot, <laughs> and uh, you know the standards are high, and uh, I think that's important. And I think it's important when you think about the culture of the Marine Corps. I think it's important when you think about the culture of any organization. Uh, people will pay attention to what you tolerate, and and then I think what happens is the you know the the the, the normal range can drop in terms of what's acceptable or minimum standards, if you will. So I think the Marine Corps was really good about having, you know, pretty clear and pretty high standards and, uh, and then adhering to those even when it wasn't easy. So I think I've carried that with me, you know, into, into business. And I, and I honestly, I think it's probably, when people talk about cultures and thing, I think it's one of the things that I look for in a culture as a, as a diagnostic indicator of the status, right? Are they, what are they tolerating? Are they tolerating the sales rep that's you know 120 percent to plan every year, but as a horse's ass to work with? Mm-hmm. You know, and creating disruption and chaos inside the organization. Are they willing to? T- if they tolerate that, that says something uh, to mm-hmm. me about the right. leadership and about the culture. So I think that's one of the big things that you know impressed me. Um, I think the idea of readiness again, you know, the agility. Mm-hmm. Marine Corps is very agile. Yeah, uh, the Marine Corps is not an occupation force. You know, so, right, right. You know, you, know you, don't, you don't bring them in and they don't build an officer's club and a golf course and you know, they pretty much land <laughs> right. and do what they have to do and then move on. And I think that's probably part of my DNA and probably why the Marine Corps resonated with me in the infantry is that the chaotic environment. You make sense of the chaos and then you move on. And I think that's a little bit how I, I view my, if I look in the rearview mirror of my life, it's probably why I enjoy the work I do. It's helping clients, you know, clarify the chaos because you can become blinded by familiarity when you're in an organization. It's always, you know, easier sometimes to come in and, and, and see it differently from the outside. That's a gift, but it's only a gift if you share it. And so um, I think that's the other thing think making, you know, clarity out of chaos and uh, and then, you know, moving on to help somebody else and, but not being an occupation force, you know, so, right. you know, that's probably, those are probably the couple things that I would say, you know, probably have an imprint on my, my business life.
0: Well, and I think it's really great because I remember from the very first time you and I spoke probably, oh, almost two years ago at this point. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember hanging up and being like very clear about what we talked about, what next steps were the possibilities, right. Because you're just a really clear communicator and that, in and of itself, I think, is not something that everybody in business um, finds natural, right? Sometimes we kind of talk around in big terms, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of interpretation that needs to happen, and that usually doesn't lead to a good place. So the, how you're a really clear communicator, I think, is, is allows you to create the clarity out of the confusion, rather than no, chaos
1: no i appreciate i think that's i appreciate that i think it's um i think in the marine corps you have we, when i think about my, my my platoon or my company we had marines that had high school education some and different levels of you know um vocabulary so you you, you can be simpl- simple without being simplistic and i right. think in business we fall in love with big words and you know we get enamored with you know degrees and you know, the more complex or obtuse, the more attractive it must be, and I think that's you know that's that's a that's a fool's gold. Right. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, if you have to execute, then the people at the lowest level have to understand what what they're doing, and if they don't understand it, you got no chance. So,
0: right. I think that that's so often. I when I talk with salespeople, I'm like, wow, I actually know what you do, and I don't understand anything you just said.
1: It's <laughs> right? crazy. Like, yeah. Like
0: like okay. Go explain it to your eight-year-old, and if your eight-year-old understands what you're selling, then we're on to something. Exactly. We we have to like get past all this like, like crazy, all these crazy buzzwords, right? And um, we're always like xing those out when we're editing LinkedIn profiles for sure, because those kind of make all of us crazy at Intero Advisory. <laughs> yeah. So, well, this has been a great conversation. We could spend another. I don't know, a few minutes at least talking and, but I'm going to let you get back to your day because I know you've got a lot lined up and I appreciate you sharing all of your insight with us because you have quite a bit of it and how can people learn more about you and find you?
1: Well, uh, definitely on LinkedIn for sure. That's uh, that's my go-to, that's my go-to uh, connection. It democratizes access. I think so. Um, and it's uh, and it's kind of a you know 24 seven, Mm -hmm. Kind of a tool, which, uh, you know, I, I would say for sure, I'd love to love to connect with people on LinkedIn and share. It's a great, it's a great amplifier of value. I think if you, if you want to share, there's some great ways to to leverage it. So I I really like that for sure.
0: Great. And Chris does share a lot of really great content and he's got great content on his LinkedIn profile, some white papers, video. So check Chris out and learn more about what he's doing and how he's helping um, and working with CEOs in the Raleigh-Durham area and certainly clients well beyond that. I know, Chris, you have clients all over and um, they all benefit from your background and your knowledge and your passion. So great to spend time with you today.
1: No, I appreciate that. I've enjoyed it, Colleen, as always.
0: Great. Thanks, Chris. And that's all for Indispensable. Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to interoadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients.